Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Zechariah, the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Maybe not, not your normal text, I think, for an Easter morning, but it is, in fact, the Word of God. I have entitled this, this message this morning, Jesus Christ, the King. He is our King. Again, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm very thankful that uh, we, are, we are gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And frankly, that's why we're here this morning. Zechariah chapter 1 will begin, actually chapter 2, but we're going to jump through a lot of passages there uh, in Zechariah. And again, I realize that today is the day we celebrate a risen Savior. Uh, but I, I believe the Lord's given me our outline, given me his outline from this Old Testament book. Uh, you know, just kind of a long introduction here. When many Christians in the Western world today, or even around the world, who have been around a Christian culture for a long time, uh, many folks talk about the resurrection of Christ almost casually. Like it's, oh yeah, it's Easter. It's the day that somebody came out of the grave. But the conquering of death is quite an accomplishment, to put it mildly. Uh, but, you know, Paul defines the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 as death swallowed up in victory. Death swallowed up in victory. And truthfully, there is no greater subject than Jesus Christ. There's no greater subject than Jesus Christ. No greater subject than His resurrection. It is the single most important event that, have, that has ever occurred in the history of the world. And whether the world admits it or not, we need a resurrected Savior. In fact, our personal Christian faith, if in fact you are a Christian this morning, it hinges on the fact that Christ rose from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. And considering that eternal death is the, is the ultimate consequence and the ultimate outcome of sin, we need death to be swallowed up in victory. We need it. We need it. So I just want to say this morning, right from the beginning, it is my prayer, it is my earnest prayer throughout this week, through this morning, that God convicts each and every one of us specifically on where we stand in Christ. Where we stand before God. In other words, if you are here this morning because it's a tradition to go to church, I'm not here to pick on you. I'm very thankful that you're here. But it is my hope and prayer that this sermon, this entire service today, all that we do, all the singing, all, all the children downstairs, all the fellowshipping, all that we do is for the Lord, of course. But it is used to either rekindle a fire in your bones to serve God every day. I mean, that's one of my callings when I left America to come to Germany is to the Lord put a, a stirring, if you will, amongst or in my soul to come over here and to help spread that stirring. So when the majority of you go back to the state or go everywhere, wherever you may go, you can take that fire with you to take it with you to to spread a revival. I still believe that revival is possible. Even during Corona, God can give us revival. So get fired up this morning to serve him every day. That's. Part number one. And then the second goal is maybe to bring your attention to the fact that you are still in your sin. And you are in need of a savior. Jesus said that I am the resurrection. 
I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Listen, I realize that there is much commercialization of Easter. And while I'm certainly not against chocolate, there's some downstairs. Feel free to have it. It's there donated by, by a certain family. It's there. Celebrate Easter. But God is more important. The Easter, the resurrection, all that there is about Jesus Christ is greater than any tradition that we have around Easter or Christmas or any other holiday. And if your faith is not in the risen Savior... You are dead in your sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, without receiving that gift, without receiving the gift of Jesus Christ, that the wages of sin is a forever sentence. A forever sentence. Eternal death. Eternal separation from all that is good. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1 that everything that we have good in this life is from God. If we go to the grave without God, all that is good is taken from us. You might ask how one receives this gift, and I'm glad you asked. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace are you saved through faith. But that not, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. By grace are you saved through faith. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. That he died and was resurrected for you on the cross of Calvary. I just want to be honest and straightforward with you this morning. It's not a new resolution. It's not starting a new chapter in your life. It's not turning over a new leaf. It is believing in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and receiving that gift. So, uh, Romans 10.9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved. Friends, that's simple. I like black and white passages that tell me if I do this, I'm saved. If you believe in the resurrected Christ, if you accept that payment for your sin on the cross of Calvary, thou shalt be saved. That's pretty simple. Do you believe this morning? Do you believe? Truthfully, it's, it's more important or it is important enough to go row by row asking you. It is. I won't do that to you this morning. I'll take an amen, though. Amen. amen. And if you're not sure this morning, don't leave here without Christ. Don't leave here without Christ. If I can beg you to do one thing in all of my life, if you remember any message from me and you are without Christ, don't leave this world without him. It's that important. It's that important. He is the most important truth you can get from any sermon. Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ this morning, there's much to be thankful for. Much to be thankful for. We serve and celebrate the risen Savior today. In fact, if you think about it, why do we meet on Sundays? To always celebrate the risen Savior. That's why we meet on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, to celebrate the risen Savior Every Sunday is Easter. In every aspect, the first day of the week is the day we set apart to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to spend the next few minutes with you. I say few. It might be more than a few. Uh, talking not just about the resurrection, although that would be the key focus, the key event this morning. But the key person is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. So this morning... 
I want to encourage you. I want to invite you to offer your praise of worship to the bowing, to the to the surrendering, to the text, to the surrendering of the King of Kings to whom the Bible calls the King of Kings. The King of Saints, the King of Angels, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've called him today just simply the King. Jesus Christ, the King. So take your Bible there in Zechariah chapter 2. This is an interesting, I, I enjoy, I've looked forward to this sermon for a long time. Chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says, Zechariah, God through the prophet Zechariah says, Sing and rejoice. O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Again, it might go without saying on a day like today, but God sent his only begotten son to dwell in the midst of his people. To tabernacle among us, as John 1 puts it. In fact, John 1.14 says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now we're going to jump around uh, a couple texts here, but keep your finger there in, in Zechariah. We'll always come back to that. We'll begin and finish with that. John 1 chapter 11 or verse 11 says he came unto his own. Jesus came unto his own. And Hebrews 2.16 tells us that Jesus didn't take on the seed of angels or the form of angels, but the form of man, the seed of Abraham. You see, God became flesh. A thousand years before Christ was born and three thousand years before today, the second psalm, we hear Jesus through David speaking these words. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Two thousand years before today. Or uh, two thousand years before today. And even as far back as Genesis, God promised that the seed of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. Why did God come to dwell in the midst of people? We know the answer, correct? We do, because he loves us, and we needed him to. We needed him to. And the purpose of Christ on this life was not just on the way. The earth wasn't just on the way as he went to go minister to some other town. We are his purpose. We are his goal. We are the target. And regardless of how we feel about ourselves, how good or how bad we feel about ourselves, how much we've accomplished in this life, and I'm not against accomplishments. We should strive for accomplishments. We should do our best to live a life that brings glory to God. But regardless of all of that, we are born at odds with our Creator as enemies, the Bible says. And as I mentioned during the introduction, we are lost without Christ. Lost. Don't let awkwardness or embarrassment or anything else in this world keep you from eternal life. I promise you will, forget, you will regret it. And we do not want to talk about regret. We don't talk about victory this morning. Amen. Trust Christ today. <clears throat> Accept the payment he made for you on the cross. Accept him as your savior. This is why he came to dwell in the midst of us. Why other, what other reason? And speaking of the Old Testament, while we're here in the Old Testament, God loves all people. There's no doubt about that. But before the cross, he chose to call unto himself a nation. A nation through whom, through, through whom he would bless all nations. This nation, the Jews, of course, ultimately failed to perform what was asked of them. The law proved to them, and to us, by the way, that grace is needed. The law actually points to Jesus Christ. Paul calls the law a schoolmaster that teaches us that we need Jesus Christ. 
And in, in the nation of Israel, many prophets were sent to them. Many books were written to them to point them in the right direction. But as a whole, they failed to see their need for grace. You can see that very evident in Jesus before the Pharisees who represented the nation of Israel. They might have, they might have portrayed many attributes, but grace was not one thing that we see coming from the Pharisees. They failed to, to see their need for salvation. And spiritually speaking, as a nation, they were stuck in adolescence. They were stuck. They couldn't, they couldn't see the forest for the, for the trees. They had no hope of reaching maturity. So God says, rejoice, because I'm coming. I'm coming to dwell in the midst of thee. I'm coming. I'm going to help you get over the hump, if you will. Now I want you to take your Bible and go to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. I want to point out to you that Jesus wasn't just coming to dwell in the midst of humanity, although that is a great feat and a great accomplishment, God becoming man. We, we put a lot of emphasis that on Christmas, how God was robed in flesh. To God, you know, we, on Sunday nights we've been talking about God and we talked about where the center of God is. The center of God is everywhere. The circumference of God is nowhere. God is great. He's the greatest being ever. But He came in, as a man. And while we... Today, take some boldness as we approach the throne of God. Think of Moses as he quaked and feared as God passed by. Think of all the times when uh, Gideon and many of the others there were fearful that they seen God and they were going to die. But there was no fear when the wise men approached the manger. That's the Jesus we serve. He wasn't just coming to dwell in the midst of humanity. He brought something with him. Look at verse 9 of Zechariah chapter 9. The Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. So we see already up here the coming king, and now we see the consecrated king. Now, if you were to study this out, you would know that in the timeline here, this is a direct reference to the Lord's triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, if you will. And we, we celebrated that last week here. And quite honestly, as we look at this passage, the Jews obeyed this prophecy. They praised the Lord. They consecrated our Lord upon His entry. Many folks praised the name of Jesus as He descended from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Luke records them in 1938 as saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. And if they didn't cry out, Jesus, what did He say? The rocks would cry out. You know, most of us, if not all of us, we are familiar with with the timeline of the, Lord's, of the Lord's Passion Week. We know that just a few days later, He would give His life on the cross. And that in the end, all forsook Him. As great as the multitude was that rejoiced Him upon His entry. I mean, in your mind, how many people could that be? I mean, who knows, right? He, he approached there, they laid down their clothes, they laid down palms where we get Palm Sunday free, palm, palm trees on the ground. Jesus came across there riding on the foal of a donkey, and they praised his name, and four days later they yelled, crucify him. They all forsook him. They all fled, every apostle. You see, they consecrated their king, and then they moved to crucify their king. Keeping your place in Zechariah, I want you to take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 19. In this church, we usually go, we pick a passage and we go verse by verse. But I thought 
as I follow the Lord. This will be a little different this morning. Look at Luke chapter 19. Look at verse 35, the end of verse 35. Luke chapter 19, verse 35 says, And they brought him to Jesus, that's the, that's the donkey there, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works uh, he had done, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now go to chapter 23 of that same book, Luke chapter 20. 23 rather, Luke 23 verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people, he said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, and I have found no fault in this man. Touching those things whereof ye accuse him, no, nor yet of Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of a necessity he must release one of them, at the feast, and they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, for, uh, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake unto them again, but they cried, saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. Friends, there's less than a week between the two events, between Palm Sunday and this event here. About four days. And while there are some differences between us and them, I want to ask this morning, how is your consecration of Jesus Christ? Is it genuine? Is your worship of Christ more authentic than those here on Palm Sunday? Who four days later would yell crucify him? You see, the Jews thought that Jesus was there to shake off the shackles of Rome. But he came for a greater purpose. He came to shake off the shackles of death. And of sin. He came to conquer the grave. He came to bring eternal life. But get this now, because Jesus did not fulfill their perceived ideas of what he should fulfill, they rejected him. In four days they went from blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord to crucify him. Where are we today? Are we all in? Are we like them or are we different? Are we praising the name of God simply for who he is or have he or have we reduced him to a crutch because our desires of him don't match his actions for us? That's exactly what happened here. We can probably tell stories all day long about people who used to be Christians, but God didn't do this for me. So I choose not to serve him anymore. May that never be said of us. It is my prayer that my personal worship of the king will always be authentic. It will always be meaningful, more meaningful than what he received on Palm Sunday. Granted, only God knows their hearts. But think about this practically. Any worship we give today, this morning, that doesn't last until Thursday, it seems lacking. It's just four days. Just four days. How is your worship? 
Is it real? Is it authentic? Yes, we're here to, to praise God's holy name. We're here to give him honor and glory. Let's do that with a pure heart. But let it last also Monday and Tuesday and next week and the week after and the week after. He is worthy. He is worthy. Back in Zechariah, we see something else in chapter 11. Zechariah chapter 11. After they, in, in the Lord's timeline, after they worshipped him, and before he went to the cross, there was another painful event, more than one actually, but one other painful event that we're going to look at this morning. Look at chapter 11, verse number 12. God, through Zechariah, says, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. Probably one of the most hurtful events for Jesus was the portrayal of Judas for a kiss. With a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. One of his closest friends. I have read before about Judas that some authors consider him the greatest failure to have ever lived. God said it's better for him to never have been born. That's a bold statement. Matthew 26, Jesus go, or Judas goes to the high priest and he says unto them, What will you give me and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Shortly before the betrayal in the garden and before the Lord's Supper was instituted in the upper room, a, a remarkable event took place. And the time between Judas's covenant with the high priest and in between his betrayal with the kiss, there they were in the upper room meeting it was the night of the Passover, and in a great demonstration of humility, Jesus picks up the towel, picks up the basin. He goes to his knees, to the feet of his creation, and he begins to wash their feet. Judas' feet. He washed his feet. And after a long night of painful sweat later on in the garden, here comes the soldiers led by Judas, and he has the boldness. To betray the creator of the world. The boldness to betray the very man who washed his feet. With a kiss. Think of the, the closeness. I think with a broken heart and maybe even with a tear in his eye. Jesus said unto him, Judas. Betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? You see, Jesus became the captured king. And he was captured with the help of a friend. While Peter at first uses his sword to fight the very apostle, every, or a very, the people that are coming to take the Lord, every apostle, every man forsook the Lord as he begins that long trek to the cross. Y'all know about it. We, we study about it. It begins with that mock trial, with them smiting the Lord, mocking him with a crown and a robe upon him. All men forsook him. You see, the chosen people of God, the Jews, led the Gentile world against the Son of God. And as a man, Jesus found himself without a people. He became man. And man rejected him. 
John 1, 10 and 11 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He was forsaken by humanity. I know we don't think about these things sometimes, but this, this gets me. I mean, he became all the things that go along that we can understand in God becoming a man to do what he did for man. And then he comes down here among men, among humanity, amongst humanity. And man says, I don't want you. Well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm God in the flesh. What do you mean you don't want? I don't want you. His capture obviously led to this crucifixion, which leads us to Zechariah 13, 6. But I want to point out that the Son of God, so turn to chapter 13, but the Son of God came, He was consecrated, He was captured, and then He went to be crucified. Betrayed by humanity. Judas truly represents all of us. We see the crucified king in Zechariah 13. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer those which those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I want to point out and be very clear this morning that Jesus doesn't want our pity. He wants our heart. He wants all of us. I want to point out that he came to be crucified. This was his purpose Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke kind of portray the humanity of God, and we understand that, and we see what he went through as a, as a man. But when we get to John, John portrays the cross as victory. There's death in the victory. Now, there's victory in all those other ones, of course, but he is victorious on the cross. So he, didn't, he doesn't want our pity. He came to be crucified. That was his purpose. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, the Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And because of his victory over death, verse 10 of Isaiah 53 boggles my mind, but it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased God to crucify his son because of his love for us. And then Hebrews chapter 12 states that Jesus endured the cross with joy. We can't even fathom this. <sighs> Referring to the tribulation of the cross set before him, all those things, Jesus said, for this cause came I unto this hour. In other words, the cross was in the plan. Praise God, the cross was in the plan. All these things are true and important this morning, of course, but I want to point out a perspective of the crucifixion with respect to the position Jesus took upon himself for us. We're talking about the crucified king this morning. And again, John 1.11 says that he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. And the wounds that is in his hands he received from his friends. In other words, all of humanity, I want to put all of us in that same category this morning. All of humanity rejected Jesus Christ. Even though you and I were not there, Romans 5.10 says that we are born as enemies of God. We are as guilty as they are. We are as guilty as the chief priest who betrayed Christ through Judas. We are as guilty as the mob even who yelled crucify him. In fact, if we were there, we would probably be in the mob. We are as guilty as the soldier who pierced his flesh with nails. I want you to see this one that while God became man, man rejected him as God and man. And man still rejects Jesus Christ as the God man. Still today. 
Any person, even those among us this morning, who hasn't by faith purposely and deliberately accepted him today has also rejected him. I know these are bold words. These are words that we don't hear often. often. But the very people God came to save forsook him, including for us today. But it wasn't the forsaking of man that un- undergirded the purpose of the cross. Turn with me again, leaving your place there in Zechariah to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. If you ever want a good Old Testament passage, this is one of the best when it comes to studying the cross of Christ. And while this entire psalm gives us much insight in the prophecy of the cross, I want you to notice the Lord's words through David in verse number one. Jesus says, David writes, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, turn over to verse 13 of that same chapter. God, through David, writes, They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare at me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. My strength, O my strength, haste to help me. In Matthew 27, Jesus also cried to God upon the cross, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, the Son of God... And the Son of Man, as the Son of Man, was forsaken by God and by man. The Son of God was forsaken by God. There on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, forsaken by God and by man, he was crucified. The King of life, yea, even the author of life, let go of life so that he could conquer life and death and sin and even the sting of death. First, or 2 Corinthians 5.21 states that God made him to be sin for us. Jesus became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. The man who never told a lie took upon the sin and the punishment of being a liar. He took upon sin that we may, he took upon himself our sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. So as a man... As a representation of all men, he became the sin of all men, including mine, including yours. And in his humanity, he was forsaken by God. Forsaken. And because he became our sin and he died in our place, our personal sin and sin nature, all there is about sin has been paid for. Paid in full. You see, that's the difference between true Christianity and every other religion in the world. We serve a God who paid it all. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All our sin is paid for. It's gone. It's as far as the east is from the west. It is paid for in full. Done. Complete. You see, Jesus was forsaken by God so that we wouldn't have to be forsaken. He paid our sin debt so that we wouldn't have to pay our sin debt. That's the reason for the cross. That's the reason, the reason we celebrate Easter this morning. 
He went to the cross. So think about this. For us to meet God one day, for any person to meet God one day, as we all will, it's inevitable, and we meet him without accepting the payment he made for his son, it is illogical. It's illogical. It's foolish. To meet a God who paid your sin debt and to say, I didn't want it, and then to stand before that holy God? In Ezekiel 18.31, God spoke to Israel. He said, cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. And this verse and many others there in Ezekiel, he says, for why will you die? Jesus, our God, to, to Israel, why would you die? Why won't you listen to me? And he, he could say the same today through preachers around the whole world. Why would man choose to die when his sin has been paid for? Trust Christ today. Accept that payment for your sin. And if you are truly his this morning, if you are in Christ, let the magnificent display of grace on the cross of Calvary compel you to a completely surrendered life. All in. All in. But as you know, the greatest story ever told did not end with Christ on the cross. He's not on that cross anymore, praise God. Look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. We serve our risen Savior. Zechariah chapter 12 says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Now this, of course, is a reference to the end of the Great Tribulation, but this verse, along with the last verse we looked at in Zechariah, which refers to the wounds in his hands, they both strongly imply that the pierced one whom they shall look upon, and he who has the wounds is, get this now, alive. How could he say they looked upon me if he is not yet alive? Friends, Jesus is alive. We have a conquering king. When Mary and the others arrived at that empty tomb in Luke 24, the angel said, Why search ye the living among the dead? He is risen. He is not here. He is, a he is alive. Acts 2.24 states that God raised Jesus from the dead, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. They could not hold him. French Jesus lives. We serve a risen Savior. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He is our conquering king. And because he lives, you and I can live. We can live because he lives. As Paul Harvey used to say back in the 80s, I guess, that's the rest of the story. Jesus walked out of that grave. Yes, he went to the tomb. And yes, his hands and his feet were nailed against this old wooden cross. But he lives. He came out of the grave. He paid for our sin on the cross. And in the resurrection, he offers us eternal life. Do you get the difference? Sin is paid for, period. But then there's an offer. So if, if we die without Christ, we do so at our own choice because our sins are paid for. But we must receive the author, offer. He offers us eternal life. Friends, that's the gospel. That is the gospel message. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He became our sin. He buried our sin. He brought us an offer of life. You see, whether you and I believe it or not, your sins are paid for. 
period. They're done. They're paid for. John 2.2, 1 John 2.2 says he is the propitiation or the atonement or the payment or however you want to understand that for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The whole world. And as we kind of wind down this morning for this payment to be applied to your account, it must be received. We must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive this payment for our sins. There's no, it's not enough just to believe that Jesus Christ became man. It's not enough to believe that he bore our sin and he, by his stripes we were healed and all those things. And he went to the cross, even that he came out of the grave. It's not enough. James 2.19 says, thou believest that there is one God? Good job. So do the devils. So do the devils. John 1.12 says, however, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. In other words, to them he authorized to be the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It is believing and receiving. I'm afraid that the bulk of Christianity today knows a lot about God, knows a lot about Jesus Christ. They even believe. But how many have received that payment? Have you received this morning? Have you received that? that has that a payment been applied to your debt? You know, any day is a good day to receive Christ. But what about today? What about Easter? It's a noteworthy day to trust Christ. And as I mentioned in the beginning... It is my prayer that the preaching of God's word, God's word this morning strikes a fire in our bones for the cause of Christ. For those who are saved and those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, this should be our message to the world. It should be the greatest message. Yes, we can be a soldier. Yes, we can be teachers. Yes, we can be firemen and, and everything else. But the greatest message that we have is that Jesus Christ came out of that grave. Sure. Is that what people know you as? I spent a number of years in the military, and for the bulk of that, I'm going to be honest, that's not what I was known for. But in the end, as some mocked me and called me Bible thumper and churchgoer, praise God, I took it with a smile. Tell the world about Jesus Christ. For believers and unbelievers alike, what more is required of God than the life of his son for us to live our lives for him? What more can God do? What more? If you are a Christian this morning, remember that. If you forget everything else from this message, what more does God have to do to get your attention, to let us be all in, to surrender a life completely to God? What more does God have to do than to give the life of his only son? I have children. I would never want to do that. I don't have the faith to do that. But God did it for every person. He gave, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. An everlasting life. Forget the forever sentence of sin. Trade it in for an everlasting life. And all of that is possible because Jesus lives. Jesus lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.